This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Today on the show, I have Ian Landstein. Ian served the United States Army on board submarines from 2006 to 2010. He is married to his wife and they have a nine-month-old son. He lives just out of Seattle in Kingston, Washington, and today is a nuclear instructor on a nearby naval base. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Go ahead and describe what your family looks for right now and any, any gaps in that intro. So uh, I've got a fairly new baby, and uh, it's with my wife that we've been together for 10 years, but only married for, what is it now, three. And yeah, we're just... We're constantly learning, learning how to make a good human and learning how to, to make it after a bit of uh, turmoil, a bit of change, a bit of strife. Change of pace. Yeah, a big change of pace. Uh, I like what you said there about a good human that I've heard it said a job as parents isn't to raise good kids, but to raise good adults. I want them to play well with others. It's <laughs> another good one as well. Yeah. There's a lot of, you have to learn how to talk to people in order to succeed in life. Yeah. And that may, it may also be just being kind everywhere, every time. So you have a big gap between 2010 and today when uh, you were dating your wife and when you got out of the military, what were you doing? What were you up to? Oh man, trying to figure out what I was going to do for the rest of my life. It's <clears throat> a big question. Uh, I have to deal with that every day and I'm only 34. <laughs> I, uh, what I did know uh, was that I would uh, fulfill my promise to myself uh, when I joined the military. I promised that I would take whatever I learned from it and apply it to be successful as a, you know, as a another good human and afford something to sustain me. To be able to provide for your family. I didn't know it yet, but yeah, it's. That's what I was doing was providing a good platform to prop up other people, including so myself. So we were talking before the show, what inspired you to take a year off and just go on a road trip? So we, my wife and I both worked uh, at that same Naval base I work for now. And uh, we both got to the point in our careers that we had our desks with our name on them and, you know, pictures that we'd gone on uh, adventures with and, we were, of course, on unpaid company break time. <clears throat> we were texting back and forth to each other saying, like, we need something. We need, we need to do something. We need something that uh, scratches that itch to get out and go on an adventure. And we both uh, transplanted out into this area from where we grew up in the Midwest. So we already had a, a feeling of a taste of big change and what it could do for us. So I, I literally sent in a text message like, well, let's just go. Let's just sell everything, buy an RV, and travel the country. And it was like four or five months after I sent that text message that we had sold our house, sold our cars, sold the couches, TVs, everything was gone. And we were in a 33-foot RV with a car behind it, and we were headed south into California. And we had no idea what was the plan other than to just travel and, like, just grow, feel really built up and just smile a ton. And just to 
it's important that you probably didn't realize when you started, but you were falling in love with your wife even more probably as well. You connected even more emotionally. It's, it's a shame how many people will ask us, how could you, how could you spend that much time next to each other on the road and in this small space? And we both kind of look at each other like, well, that's, that was exactly what we wanted to do. We didn't, we didn't, there were, you know, there was challenges at times you sit next to anyone, including in the military. Some of your best friends were your worst enemies someday, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was our ability to talk and work out these problems that weren't trivial too. Sometimes we were out of propane, out of diesel, down the wrong. You mean life still happens when you're on the road? (laughs) It is not all fairy tales, man. You, you're in uh, Louisiana on uh, State Highway 10 where there's great big billboards that say, do not stop on roadway if you have a problem and your entire RV is dead in a lane with 60, 70 mile an hour traffic going by you. <laughs> is it telling and, you not to stop because of an alligator? To your partner who you've been on. No, because there's no shoulder and it's an oh. elevated roadway. Uh-huh. So it's like, we can't even get there to help you yeah. in time. So you need to keep going. But I had no power whatsoever. And, you know, you expect, well, you could reasonably expect when you look to your co-pilot and she realizes the scenario that she panics or he or she doesn't matter. Right. They, they're going to be like, Oh no, we can't stop here. I looked to mine and she said, what can I do to help? And it was like, so reassuring in that moment. I'll never forget that. Like, we could have been arguing about, oh, you didn't check this or that. Check the battery cables. She just said, what can we do? Let's go. And there's been a lot of times like that, including childbirth, <laughs> where we had to, where then it was on me, where she was like, the dog needs to go outside and my water just broke. And so I said, okay, I got to take the dog out and I got to get a bag ready because we're going. <clears throat> I work for a company that's based in the Czech Republic and there's something about their culture that I learned very quickly in my very first visit that they spend all of their twenties enjoying life and loving the person that they want to spend the rest of their life with. And only when they're in their thirties, do they settle down and have kids. And that taught me something that I'm going to pass on to my kids that so much of the American culture is caught up in a big damn rush to do nothing, to have kids, get married, run through all of this stuff. But so much of what I think midlife crises are about is the lack of living when we are younger and not having that strength in our marriage, I think allows or makes kids even harder to bear. And then you start having regret and you start having animosity towards your kids, and your spouse. And so I commend you for taking that time. And you probably don't know it, but you probably built enough capital in that marriage that year that no matter how many kids you have, you've got a foundation that's not going to be cracked. Man, that's a great way of looking at it too. And uh, I had family members that were so behind us. You know, we we came up with this crazy idea, and we thought the elders of you know our our uh, community, our our families were going to be like, "What are you doing? You're throwing away a career and all that." We had so many people behind us for that very reason. Like, go. These are your twenties. These are this is your time. Yeah. You're able-bodied. You're you you don't have great responsibilities. Go find yourselves or I think that's also important. Just finding yourself. Uh, I was coming back from Vegas this past weekend and I was sitting next to a guy and we had a conversation from us the entire plane ride. And he was talking about his son 16 and he really has no idea what to do. And I was like, take a one-on-one trip, just explore life and just connect with them. And so much of why we get stuck, I think when we were 18, not knowing what to do is because we never got a chance to live life and our parents never, helped us live outside of our own little world of high school and all that stuff that you have to get outside of your life in order to learn how to live it. Sometimes you got to go make some wrong turns. Oh, like you definitely. Gotta go, you got to go some dead ends. Mess up whatever you're headed toward. You're going to mess it up once or twice and who you have around you and what you have within you over is, I mean, all the difference, especially for that 16 year old mm-hmm. knowing that he's capable of, I assume he yeah, it <laughs> was capable of, uh, of overcoming something that early. Yeah. 
Definitely. I'm sure even as you were on your road trip, the road signs, you've got, first, you're probably really curious about all of them. You probably started making a lot of turns toward them and you slowly got a stronger and stronger gut feeling as you experienced that reading a sign. Yeah, that's not a good idea. We've already did that. Those little things are equated to life. And it's a lot of what being a dad is, is helping our kids walk that road behind us. That's so good. Cause he's right here. Like just watching me talk to you right now. And he's real. He's like, real inquisitive. Yeah, that's really cool too. What does it mean yeah. for you to come home? For me, home is uh, presence. Like you can't be that, that couch potato. You can't, it's not, you come home and kick your shoes off. You come home and you are a husband, a father, you have titles and you're expected to operate within them. Just like in the military when we were petty officers or sergeants or training coordinators and things like that. You're like dad and Mr. Landstein, husband, are so much more important and so much more demanding. Yeah. <laughs> Even recognizing when to lead in those and when to follow is also an important one because you're not – I think a lot of times – Military veteran dads more just because we have a little bit of an ego and it's hard not always to turn it off if you're not aware of it and you can come into the house and try to control everything. But there's times where you lead and there's times where you need to follow and your wife will lead in some cases and time, sometimes you need to follow her and sometimes she's looking for you to follow her and it's cognizant important to be aware of either of them. Oh man, and that doesn't, yeah, you may lead, but it, again, you may go the wrong way and having that comfort factor that uh uh we've been through this type of feeling before with your your spouse and you can talk about it and know that it's not the end of the world and that it may never happen again so long as you talk about it if you were it a out. dad right when you first got out of the navy what would have been the difference between that dad ian versus the dad you are today after living life a little bit before you well you know it's funny you say that uh while in the military, I had a scare, not a scare, I had a situation where I thought I was going to be a dad. And uh, myself and my then girlfriend were at least uh, mature enough to realize that we weren't going to be able to. So we went through the adoption process. And uh, uh, what I thought was my firstborn was adopted away to a very nice couple uh, in uh, our area. And uh, I named him and everything. Excuse me a sec. You go that way. Come here. And uh, I got uh, a phone call about three weeks after all that went down from the doctor saying, hey, uh, are you sitting down? He's not your son. And so then it was like, holy cow. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. Such a such a a bomb dropped, and like it had already been an incredible uh, emotional roller coaster, and then it was that. But <clears throat> so I knew I would say that if I was going to be a dad straight away, as I got out of the military, I'd have been just as scared. I would have been just as uh, unsure of myself and of what I could do, even though I could uh, submerge a submarine. Uh, work out with Navy SEALs. I could uh, swim for, you know, what, two miles consistent. Like I had all these uh, accomplishments in my tool belt, but the aspect, the thought of, of raising something else was just so scary at the time. Yeah, it's like having your heart beat outside your body and run around. I, it, it never, nothing ever felt so real as the, uh, the, the fear and uncertainty involved in becoming a, a single father in the military because mm -hmm. she wasn't prepared to raise the kid. And I was going to have to take a hardship, get out of the military and approach that title so early, like 22 years old. And I see kids, you know, I say kids, I see men having to go through that now. And you're right, I sympathize with them so much. Like those 20s, those 20s where I just, explored, learned, made mistakes and bolstered myself to realize that there there's more to it than just YOLO and going into it. Yeah. Like you got to have some kind of plan. And there's more to go into it than even just having a paycheck to burn in your pocket. 
which is a lot what we end up doing in the military. Especially yeah, when we were, they, they take care of everything. So all you've got is this disposable income that comes in twice a month. That's exactly what I was thinking about was living in the barracks and like having leftover teriyaki in the, in the fridge, but getting teriyaki and getting a like 12 pack of beer and playing video games all night and not having to worry about it. I could, I should have been eating at the canteen that had perfectly good food and saving money, but no. Yeah, and if I would have thrown a baby in the mix of all that, so fortunate. I'm a big believer that kids spell love T I M E. What are some simple ways that you connect with your nine month old son? Getting down on the floor with him. When uh, if I've got time to, you know, BS on a phone or uh, if there's some dishes in the dishwasher or something that needs to be getting put away, those can wait. That'll all be there. He's learning right now and he's developing play and and if my face is involved with all that and my hands are in there showing him things to do, well, I'm going to be that much better a leader later in life. He can look to me to, to be, to know that I'll be, or, uh, then he'll be included too Mm -hmm. in things that we do. And hopefully I will be. I've always, I'm not sure exactly where I did it to make it happen, but, like uh, the kids are always trying to copy what their dad's doing, especially my son, that uh, anytime I'm doing something, he's always got to have a screwdriver. So if I have to have a screwdriver, I got to find an extra one to him. Well, if I have a hammer, he has to have a hammer. And just like standing there observing like that, there's something about that learning moment that happens routinely, whether it be I'm fixing something and he's watching or just that they're so, they're always watching what we're doing. And it's so important to connect in their world because how we show up into the world will be how they show up into the world. And that's, it's so ancient too. Like that's, that is, that is how we've learned and grown and and done. Not, not with a tablet, not with, uh, well, unfortunately a lot of kids had the nanny or some other entity, but I think nowadays fathers are understanding that they're not, they're not waiting room dads. They're in there with, with your wife. They're in there with the kid. Our and, role is changing. It's no longer the provider, which I feel like you can run into a lot of dads that just had the provider that, that was nothing wrong with it, but that's all they've known. They were very much the lever to beaver dad. They came home, read the newspaper, did their job. And that was the role of the father. But now there's so much more impact that we can have. And, or I think we're awakening to our, our own badass internal self, and <laughs> the, the, the ability that we have to show up in our kids' lives and, really make a dent in their lives sorry i'm scooting up so uh this guy i know doesn't come over and grab my headphones and rip them out <laughs> what, do you want, my- what do you want your son to remember when you when you're 30 if they're at a bar talking with their friends and they're talking about their dad what's something you hope that he describes about you oh man uh that that one really stuck with me or stumped me last night it's because uh i didn't have like a really present father so i guess that's what i would want him to remember me for is my presence and that he could always rely on me uh and for 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 a nudge in the right direction too either it's comfort or maybe that that hard harsh reality that hard truth you know you really got to get your stuff together it's not going to be easy that's what, that is one thing my dad gave me was uh, some harsh truth when I needed it. That's what eventually brought me into the military and certainly gave me what I have today. I could also imagine being on the road for a year, you're a man of, who doesn't lack stories. So maybe he would also just be abundantly full of stories with his dad of fun things he used to do with him. You're right. I would appreciate if he if he paid attention to my stories more or as much as I do. And then when you get to create your own stories together, like he'll just be bragging what he did with his dad over the weekend. And Oh man, that's what I want. Yep. (laughs) I do. I want (laughs) good, good stories. If he remembers anything, it's good stories. That sounds great. The best part is stories is what connects us as humans and being able to tell a good story and to live a good story. Those are two things that are powerful things in the universe. I dig that a lot. Yeah. As a dad, what was your scariest moment? Oh, this one's easy. Uh, during labor, 
my, my wife is incredible. She is the strongest person I know. And I've seen some strong people, but she can, she can out, outlast them. And in labor, a natural birth, he was a month early. That was about the only thing uh, going abnormal about it. But she got to that point that I, I, I believe effectively every woman in labor gets to where they're, they're, they're past that threshold of I can do this into, I don't know. And I'm, I'm not, I'm scared and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure of myself. And, uh, I didn't realize it, but that, that was my biggest fear was to not have her to, uh, to bounce my feelings off of, or to be there to bolster my insecurities too. And at that peak, at that threshold, when she fell over and into that big, heavy feeling place, I too like broke and I could feel it internally. Like, you know, just this panic. Well, if she's not willing and and positive, how am I going to be willing and positive? But then just questioning that within me, it was like, no, this, that's it. This is, here it is. This is when she needs you the most. So you have got to put your faith. You've got to say these words that through some terrific birth classes that we had, uh, I'm, I was reminded to say, uh, and remember that she's that incredible person and don't let her forget. Not through, not even through this, not even when she's in her darkest place, you have to be there. Your voice is the one that she loves and trusts. Not these nurses, not the doctors, not the doula, all these people are temporary figures. You're permanent. You're her inspiration. So speak up. Tell her she can breathe. Tell her she can do this. And man, that was that was still so hard and so scary because it did. It helped, but it didn't turn the table right away. Turn the tide right away. That was still going to be hard. It's, who goes on for who knows how long? So that was so scary because I knew that. If I didn't, if I wasn't there, things were going to get rough. Things were going to get really heavy for someone I loved and cared about. You need a daughter in your life because you were going to be a good dad to a daughter. Because everything you just said is some mindset that I have with my daughter. Reminding her that she's enough. Reminding her that she's beautiful. Reminding her that she's perfect just the exact way she is. Reminding her that her opinion is the only one that matters. And in this day and age, that's what women need to hear the most as they grow up to be women. And just like the, the love that I show her and the dad and man that I show up, that's what she goes to find out in the world, she goes to start dating and to follow the world. And, and what you just said is so much of what I try to do every day and just walk her through and remind her of her own awesomeness and give her hugs. And even just hugging your daughter, there's like a 60% chance, 60% less chance of having sex by the age of 12. I just read that. Because in, they gave uh, it what you, uh, the strong father, strong daughters? In, uh, no, Armin, Armin Bott's uh, uh, New Father. I think it's called The New Father. I haven't heard that one before. I read it in Strong Father, Strong Daughters, which scared the heck out of me of the role <laughs> that we play. And how, if, whatever we don't give them, they will go find it in first person willing to give it to them. And if you don't give them that physical touch, they will go out into the world and find it. Oh, man. Well, if you say I need a daughter and I should have one, but that that's another scary thing to think it's about. It's scary, but the, you, you, if you prepared your, if you were already there with your wife in that moment and you don't probably know it, but there's probably a moment in that year of traveling with her that you connected with that idea more than ever and allowed you to be even more present in that moment when you needed it because you loved her that much more because you were that much more grown together. I could get along. Oh, yeah, I could. I could see that. We're hoping for a daughter next, so maybe. Never know. It's always fifty-fifty. I want four kids, and I want a son. So I, my, I grew up as an only only boy, and I didn't really like it. So I really want to give my son a son. But if I get three daughters, it'll be just more crazy. And <laughs> well, I'll just have to make sure I invest in my son even more. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you remember when you were at one 
and you were like, yeah, I'll do this again. And do you remember when you were at two and you said, yeah, we'll do this again. And could you, could you, could you go back to that, that person and relieve their fears or would you maybe increase their, you know, like, uh, don't like, it's going to be hard, but you're going to make it through kind of thing or cause I'm there. Right. Yeah. It sounds so scary. It is scary. But you're talking to the guy that has the mindset that the more something scares you, the more amazing something's on the other side, though. It's a good mindset to have, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. If I can go on a stage in Vegas and talk in front of people, you could have another kid. It's just as scary. Different. Just a different kind of scary. Just another human being. (laughs) I would say to answer that question, I wouldn't go back and change it. I wouldn't say it gets tricky until you're like at three because the average is three kids. So like you can kind of associate the risk that everybody kind of has three kids and there's not a lot of danger that comes with three kids. After three, I think like choosing to have four, especially at our, we have six, four and two. So like we're at a nice happy meeting. We're almost out of diapers. We're out of formula. So like we're almost to that. And then most parents forget and they don't realize it until you hit the reset button of how hard of a reset button that is back to that square one with the newborn. And you're like the sleep, the diapers, the puking, the everything. Um, it's also, I find it ironic of how much uh, women just naturally forget what childbirth is like. Like I, once it passes, they forget every miserable day that they were pregnant and all they remember is the happy times. And then they're pregnant again. And they're like, Oh, this is horrible. And then it all goes away <laughs> when the baby's born. But to answer your question, I would say, one, everybody, if you want kids, one, the second one is the hardest and all the systems, and it is the scariest because all the systems you create for the first child only work for one and you have to reinvent them all for two. So it's pretty much reinventing the wheel when you have two because everything just has to be relearned because it was only created for one child. When you have three, all the systems you have for two kids duplicate for three and they can kind of start playing with each other and you can slowly, depending on how much age gap, we got two years. Like my oldest was kind of at the age where she could help take care of my youngest or keep her, att- uh, play with her. Um, but I wouldn't go back. I, if, I, if you asked me the first, second, I would say the third is the only time I've really ever paused. Every other time it was, I knew I wanted more and I don't know whether it's a rope. It's a romantic idea in my head. I'm sure it's going to come out to be a lot of trauma in my life, but <laughs> I believe that the, the larger the families are, the more cohesive that they are. Like if I look at the families that I admire, like they're four, five, six kids and they're just, the family stays together through life more. And I kind of want that as well. And I don't know. Three is kind of that, that Passover number because the cars stop fitting and got to get different cars, you got to get different <laughs> systems. And those systems and those cars promote more than three. Exactly. Yeah, I see. I see there. We probably well, got about a year left before we want uh, the daycare is actually the biggest cost for us because we had a moment where all three kids were in daycare and that was just super crazy. It was almost two mortgages in daycare. Yeah, that's, uh, so that's something else we're coming up to uh, now is whether or not she'll have to go back to work to support all these things that we're envisioning for our future, his future more than anything. So anything where the daycare is strategic for our fourth one is we want to have most of the kids close to the pre-K or kindergarten. And then uh, we'll decide whether to hit the reset button. I still feel in my heart that I want four kids. So, and I don't necessarily know what that makes that go away other than time maybe or perspective, but there may be another harsh reality coming up. That's like, no, it's three. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be a sad day when, like, when I, I let go of that thought or memory or vision in my head. But nevertheless, it'll be something I do with, learn, grow through, and most importantly, walk through that fear in whichever direction. Either that, by having four kids or the fear of regret. Because I would also look from the other side and say, if... I'm 50 when I look back and regret this decision more than anything, or will I be able to live with it? 50, man, that seems so far away. (laughs) 
I can't like I could two years ago we had no idea we would be uh, living out in on the water in Kingston with a nine-month-old crawling around yelling at us right now <laughs> looking all disheveled <laughs> right now and that was only two years and I interviewed for my job to get my job back because I had actually quit and uh the interviewer is like, where do you see yourself in two years? And I told him the same thing. I said, man, I can't even, can't even begin to, but if it was ideal, it'd be this. And he says, what about five? And I said, I can't answer that. Like, I just know in our, in our relationship, in our lives, we're going to, we're never going to be able to know what so far we're going to be up to. What do you want? This is probably a good leading question. What do you want the legacy of the, the uh, Lanston family to be? friendliness uh that play well with others like they all of us should have those good stories those that approachability that we've naturally had through all these adventures in these years and uh yeah just to remember that we were good people and never never met a stranger that's a good one i haven't had that one before yet no, no. It's, it's, it, it's something I feels way more attainable and, and just something that lo- is lacking nowadays. You go through, like I just went through two grocery stores with a, you know, cute baby that just wants to smile and say hi to people. And it only happened like three times. Everyone's just so compartmentalized and, and, uh, worried about the projection they have on social media rather than what they're doing hands and feet right now. <clears throat> yeah. Or even just, I think what we also suck at is recognizing and judging other people sometimes maybe could barely get dressed and come out the door that, that day, but somehow we're going to approach that with judgment instead of kind, kind words or friendship or, uh, when people ask me how I'm doing, I always answer better than good as the answer. And I didn't really realize it when I first started it. I got it from Zig Ziglar, so it wasn't something I created. But I often find people need to hear it more than I need to say it. Like, it's more of a gift to others because like, no one's expecting it. And it usually jolts the people the most uh, when it happens. And even at the grocery store, usually when I say it a lot, that there was a grocery store lady that I said to check it out. And she's like, you know what? I'm better than good, too. Like, she paused, she reflected, and maybe she wasn't having a good moment. But that jolted her back to reality. I even, I'm a little bit strange. I'm a podcaster, so I'm already a strange category. But I always like, we have a grocery store called Woodman's, and it's a ginormous grocery store, bigger than Walmart. People get lost in it all the time. And I'm always that guy. And I shop there every week. I was one of the grocery stores. So I always like trying to find the people that look lost and trying to help them. Like, hey, it's over two aisles. It's on the top. Or if they're debating between two things and I've already got a decision that I think is the best one, I'll, hey, just pick the one on the left. It's a lot better for X reasons. Like, those simple things are what we don't do anymore. Sorry, I got somebody uh, doing exactly what he shouldn't. (laughs) Trying to pull a cord. All right, now we're doing better. Uh, Yeah, if if I blast away, it's because he's about to dump the dog bowl over on himself but no now he's over by me oh man that's awesome about you just being a genuinely uh approachable friendly guy amidst you know those those uh, people that are just ignoring everybody and going about their day yeah looking for the interruption but no one really that's to be the interruption that people need to the drift all right what advice would you give to a dad looking to come home to their marriage communicate don't just talk you need to you need to communicate your your feelings and that's so difficult for guys uh especially military that we were we were you know emasculated for doing that we if you were sad if you were depressed emotions will get you killed yeah Thinking will get you killed even like pausing to think about how you feel. will get you. Yeah. Like, am I, am I sad or am I frustrated or am I tense? No, you need to get to work is what you need to do. Yeah. So 
yeah, that that person that your 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 teammate, if you want to call it that, because we we were all geared to do that, is to lean on our teammates. That she needs to hear and understand those feelings. If you're going to ever get rid of them, or if you're ever going to work through them, you need your team. You can't. If you could do it alone, you would. So talk about it. Get that backup. And hello, and have a vent because that's what we, all we want to do and all we want to talk about in our day is that high and identify that too because that that's something to put in that memory bank. Like, man, I felt really good when I did that today at work or at home or even just walking around to you know outside. And the low, the low you can talk through and you can get that that backup for like, man, I, I really did not feel great when I said that. And that may be something to, that she didn't know either. And you've, you've exposed that vulnerability and that's, that's powerful to your teammate, to your partner. I keep calling it a teammate, but she's your partner. Like you, she needs to know yeah. when you're vulnerable so she can be that defense your service is going to betray you. Your kids are going to betray you, but your wife will be there till the very end. And, uh, and to vent, man, venting. We all want to do that. We'll do it on social media. We'll do it uh, in the car to a family member or something like that. But sometimes in that vent, those highs and lows come out. Well, mostly that's when I find my highs and lows is when I'm just venting and letting it out. Or I'll work through this conflict, like a coworker at work. Like, man, I don't understand why they don't just do better. Or maybe I can help them do better. And you get to, you get to these, these conclusions because you get to throw, just vent your thoughts out there, bounce them off someone that can identify with it and validate or invalidate the way you're feeling. I think the worst thing we do as military veterans, Dad, is we keep it inside. And I like to describe it as like an echo chamber that those conclusions, when it becomes inside your head, it just gets louder and louder. And it ends up being the only conclusion is that your family is better without you. That's why it's so important to get it out either through a tribe or anything. Cause we aren't meant to lift everything we have in life. And we need those tribes, which me and you have both met in our common dad's edge Alliance group. And that's where we both go to, just connect and do life together and super important. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of that, that tool too. I've on, I've, I've barely got onto, uh, uh, the video calls. Uh, I've posted a few times and got good research, you know, good, uh, feedback from that. But I'd say what I've benefited most from is, uh, gratitude for, it sounds terrible, but seeing seeing the plight and seeing the how how bad it can get, if maybe through no fault no fault of your own or or lack of effort or lack of communication, you can get to a place that you just you may not like the person you wake up next to, and I don't want ever want to be there. Mm-hmm. I so I'm learning from these these situations and and. Uh, if I have something to offer these guys, I, I try to, but I'm just so grateful that I've gone through those, those, uh, trials and those challenges to where we can, I can reasonably say that next to me is someone I love to wake up next to and, and who I know is going to have my back and tell me when I'm right or wrong or help me towards something. If it's truly good and we're not perfect. I should, absolutely put that caveat in we are constantly growing and we'll have our bad days but we we have these tools to to work through it to to really understand where each other's at and try to help one another through it so your wife's still at home what's a way that you connect with her when you first get home to just communicate and understand what her day was like that uh that high low vent is uh, something we've uh, incorporated into our day, our our evenings, whether it's in a car ride from some event that we all were at, or 
if we're just putting away dishes at the end of dinner, uh, we find time to, to get a high low vent in and that'll call that'll get that off your shoulders, maybe share some of it in between the two or some days it's just all that high and it's hard to find a low and you realize things are doing pretty well. It may not be where you want, you know, you may want a different story, but yours probably isn't bad. Yeah. The advice from Jason McKenzie in our group, I'm always been in trying, I've been incorporating it more. It's been at the top of my head of just approaching things more with a deep sense of curiosity of what was her day like, what's going through her mind and just continuing to expand upon something versus like questioning it or like, why do you feel that way? Cause the word why implies that you're judging and defining almost as negative connection. So I've just been trying to keep that at the top of my head of how do you approach whatever's going on with just a curiosity to understand versus judge, ask, provide some guidance or solutions to, and just validate like we both know. And unfortunately, women aren't always communicating fully what they're feeling. So there's, there's going to be practice in this too. You're going to, you're going to pick up on things and it's not, it's not wrong to uh, kind of sift through and ask, Hey, are you telling me this because you're feeling this way? If it's wrong, if you're wrong, cool. But if not, you're, you're, you're actually communicating. You're listening to the right things and you're understanding how you might be in effect to change those feelings. Like just the other night we were talking about what kind of house we might want to buy. And we, I came to the realization that what she was talking about was that she needs to get out of this one more. And we need to, I need to, I need to facilitate that. That's for her wellness, for her, for her being. Mm -hmm. And I can facilitate that somehow. So and you could get caught up on getting a bigger house and doing what you think she wants. And if you didn't really understand, then you could get a bigger house and she really did need get a bunch of features you can't afford, but you thought we're going to make her happy. And then you just end up with a bigger pile of mess. So it's, it's always good to. <laughs> that's, that's frequent, right? Like I feel like a lot of guys would identify with that. Like I tried to make it better, but yeah. I really only just put my plan into on. action. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really figure it out. I didn't really talk about things. I just said, all right, I'm going to fix it with this. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. What's a resource or a book you would recommend to other military vet veteran dads? Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I would say it's controversial, but I think it's benefited more people than it's, uh, frustrated them. And that's 12 rules for, for life by Jordan Peterson. And I know it's popular too, which is really encouraging because it affects people in the way it affected me and spreads that. I think he is, his message is one we all need to to uh, make louder again. And that's the for responsibility. You're, you own yourself and you own your circumstance and being in the military, you're no stranger to ownership. You were, you were built on that. You are a petty officer. You are a Sergeant. You are in charge of these guys, these missions, these, these uh, uh, objectives. Well, now you've got them still. They're not written. They're not provided to you, but you've got them. So get in that book and remind yourself that you have the power to own this and you can take that critical eye to yourself, not to, not to others or the situation, but to you and what you can do to change things. And that comes up so much in the dad edge too. I see guys posting about, you know, the, the issues they're having with their relationship or with their health. And the majority of the questions are, what could you do? What could, what could you do? And what would you do to change something? Because you're capable of something. It may be small at first, but you're capable of aiming up. And that's just so important without that structure of the military that gives you C to B to A. It's gone now, but your tools are still there. Your ability to do that is still there. I love that. And I, 
use a kind of a similar approach where I think it was actually came from a guy yelling at his wife at work on the phone and it was about laundry. And I'm just like, really, is this happening? And I came to me at this moment, I was like, he doesn't realize it, but she is reflecting back what he's sending her. And so much of what this universe is, is just a reflection of what we put into it. And so if you don't like what the universe is giving you, it's generally a reflection of what you put into it. If you put crap into it, you're going to get crap back. And understanding what you put out and that reflection and understanding you have control over your words, your actions, your emotions, your choices, everything, even your kids screaming at you is somehow also a reflection of what you taught them, modeled, demonstrated through your own behaviors. And I wrote an ebook last summer uh, on Amazon. And at the last chapter on authenticity was owning your, your reflection is part of being an authentic person that if you don't recognize that your reflection has a an impact, you're never going to truly be the authentic person. Maybe you're set out to be or want to be or desirable to be. There'll be two. There'll be the one that you're talking about and the one that you're doing. And And then you won't be authentic. You'll just be fake and people will see right through it. Be like, this isn't real. Or you'll do something completely different in someone you think people aren't watching. And you're like, that guy just said this, but then did that. And that's not cohesive of each other. And we should say that, well, I think, we would both agree that you're not going to be perfect. Like there's going to be those two things and the ability to uh, be, be critical of both and to identify if you're capable of the one, if you're not, maybe it's just too fantastic, fantastical. Is that the word? Fantastical. (laughs) Uh, Fantastical. And you need to get to the reality, which is, yeah, you can't do, uh, uh, that workout, but you could do something or I'm trying to think of good analogies, but like, even if you're not ready to go to the gym, like for me, I was scared out of my mind, but for me, I actually started a year and a half earlier by going and waking up and going for a walk in the morning. And that was what I started with. I did the littlest thing I could and I did it today and I took that step and three and a half years later, I now go consistently to the gym four days a week, but it started with going for a walk at five 30 in the morning. And then I ended up actually uh, even realizing a second bonus is I brought my daughter along with me. So that was like her favorite thing to do back then is just wake up and go and walk with daddy. I'd look at that small, that, that's that decision to just, all right, I have this goal, this fantastical idea that I'm going to go get ripped in the gym, but I'm going to use, I'm going to just, I'm going to put one step toward it and I'm going to do something I could and would do. And this ripple just happened where your daughter is involved, your, your wellness is changing, you're getting more fresh air, you're sleeping better and it's pushing you to, and it, you didn't, you didn't have to go to the gym and go after that and fail at that. You could just take one simple, small step toward it. It's important to meet yourself wherever you are, no matter what you're trying to do as a dad, father, doesn't matter. Meet yourself where you are and do as little as you can, but do, it's more important to do it today. Cause I realized that by walking that when I, I feel the most hopeful when I'm at the morning and the sun shining on me, like mm-hmm. I a little bit like Superman complex where that sun literally fills me up in the morning, just like Superman gives his strength. Like that's where I feel most alive is when I'm going for a walk in the sun shining and the sunrise is above that. And it's like today is full of unlimited possibilities. And that's my reminder that it's there. But I would never really have figured wish. that out if I never just chose to start going to walk. I really wish people would do that more. I, I, I see people in my neighborhood that do it consistently, and I, I feel like I identify with them or could identify with them better because they're just taking a walk and t- pausing from this crazy, crazy, strange world we're living in now. And you never know if one of those people is someone that could change your life. Oh, and I love to say uh, conversation. I love to say uh, you'll never meet your best friend or you'll never meet your next best friend unless you talk to him. Yep. They're, they're, kids nowadays are like, I don't want to do that. It's strange and scary. Yeah, but that's, that's where you're going to meet that person. That's where you're going to find something. You need to, uh, I've been repeating lately, just talk to strangers. Sounds odd because we tell kids not to talk to strangers, but... Mm-hmm. There's a sense of curiosity to talking to strangers is that allows so much more opportunity to come into our life and you can feel just more hopeful and you can feel more open. Like connecting human to human is like the next frontier of 
where I think people are going to go with the amount of social media we have that you need that human to human connection. And you're not going to get there unless you talk to people. Yeah. And get out of the comments section. Yeah. <laughs> like get into something like this, get into FaceTime, get into uh, group chats and sit down in the coffee shop house and actually talk to someone. What's a parting piece of advice you want to leave for other military veteran dads? Embrace the chaos. It's, it's, it's almost indefinite that things are going to be scary and strange and weird, but you have strengths. Us as veterans specifically, we have these tools that were ingrained in us and we may not be applying it to a mission like we were trained, but we still have missions and we still have objectives and we have these tools to, to apply to them. And yeah, through that communication and your perspective, changing your perspective a little bit, getting down on the floor with your kids, I think uh, we can use our strengths and become really effective uh, fathers and leaders with things we've already got. It's just a matter of reapplying them. 100% agree. I can agree more with that parting piece of advice. Well, Ian, I have absolutely loved this conversation. I feel like we've been best friends forever, but we've only been friends for about a month. But I feel like this is the start of another great friendship. And it started with just a connection on, on Facebook. I'm really glad uh, you sent me that message and that my wife is still so incredible that while she's sick, she'll uh, enable me to to sit down and have a conversation and tell I'm a sure story. she's enjoyed the conversation as well on the side of like, wow, he's, he's a smart guy. I hope so. Uh, she's, 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 uh, she's that good critical, uh, eye, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes I impress her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, thank you very much. You have a great day. Thanks, Ben. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home. <laughs>